Now, I told myself I wasn't going to preach real hard, but I can't promise that. So we'll see what happens. I'm just, that's just my nature. So let me, tell you, let me tell you who you are. There are several names that make up who you are according to Scripture. I'm talking about the believer now. Number one is you are the church. The Bible calls you the church. Everybody say the church. And so that's many people making up the whole. Many people making up the whole. Number two, the Bible calls you the people of God. You are the people of God. This is important. Again, many people making up the whole. And then thirdly, we see this especially in the New Testament, you're called the body of Christ. So he left, but he really didn't. He left you with the spirit of God inside of you. And so now you are his body in the earth. Think of that. But the Bible doesn't say just you by yourself, but it says many people making up the whole. Because, and I'll get back to that in just a moment. So a part of our wholeness and identity is in our togetherness. It's in us coming together. And, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, he's wanting to get them to understand his identity. And by the way, it's good that we know our identity as well. We have to know who we are in Christ. Otherwise, the devil will surely make a welcome mat over you, around you or in your life and wipe his feet on your back. And we can't allow that to happen. I love the, the, the prayer my wife prayed with such authority this, this morning. We do not allow the devil and darkness to override. We have power and we have authority. Amen. It says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ He's now doing, he's speaking now. He said, said, who am I? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You got a revelation, but my father who was in heaven, he has shown you this. And also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church And the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. So he gets a revelation of who Christ is. Now that he has a revelation of who Christ is, Christ gives him a revelation of who he is. You're not Simon, which means a reed. A reed is shaken by the wind and can be snapped under pressure. But now you are a rock. Petra in the Greek is where we get the word Peter. You're Petra, a rock. You are solid. You are a foundation. You're not easily shaken. You are, you are, you are a sure foundation. He said, this is who you are. So now that you know who I am, okay, now I can show you who you are. And in that revelation, know this, I will build my church to the point that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And God, church, has strategically placed us at the gates of hell. That might not make you or bring you comfort, but when you understand who you are, it should bring you total comfort because, number one, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So wherever he puts you, he's there. Amen. Number one. Number two, he doesn't put you there to fail but to prevail. So God puts you at the gates of hell. It's to prevail and not fail. Somebody say amen. That's kind of easy to remember that way. So there's a reason for that. That's why you've been going through the hell you've been going through. That's why you've encountered the opposition that you've been up against. That's why you've been battling the financial pressures that you have been battling for years. But let me give you some good news today. If God be for you, who can be against you? 
The wicked may plot and the wicked may scheme against you, but the Lord shall cause you to triumph. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord himself will raise up a standard against him. Someone say amen. How about this? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, but every tongue that rises against you in judgment, the Lord himself shall condemn. Somebody shout yes. God placed you at the gates of your enemies so that you would conquer and gain authority in the very place of your attack. Think about that for a second. Sometimes when we come to an attack, all we want to do is look at what the devil's doing. But we got to find the Christ in the crisis. What's God up to? If he put me here, there's a reason for this. And if I'm in this moment, it's not for me to fail. It's for me to prevail. Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against Jeff Pruitt, nor against you. Somebody shout, me. That's how God operates. That's how God works. So there's, a, there's authority to be gained uh, in, in the place of your attack. Psalms 138 verse 8 says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. So he, he wants to make, make something beautiful, beauty out of ashes. What's concerning you? Meaning that, in other words, if you got your finances right now and they're concerning you, God says, I'll perfect it. If you got a relationship problem with your, your husband or your, or your wife, God says, I'll perfect that. If your children have run away from God, and that's become your battle at the point of place that you're at the, at the gate of hell trying to spare and save their life, God will perfect that. He will perfect the thing that concerns you. Psalms 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. I haven't used my stomach muscles this hard in a while, so i got to be careful, praise God. Let me just say this to you, is that the devil belongs under your feet. I should have got a bigger shout than that. So if you are under attack, you might be at the gates of hell, but just remember, it can't prevail against you. As a matter of fact, he should be under your foot. The Bible says he makes your enemies your footstool. Now, my grandmother used to have a footstool back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember these footstools. And they were built like this, you know, like, like a piece of steel. And they were... They were, you know, when you open them up, because they, yeah, they pull out the little ladder that comes, kind of built... Hey, I remember talking about... Hers was red and white. That's all I remember, red and white. It's kind of beat up, and boy, anytime she's out, Jeff, go get that, that, go get that, um, uh, go get that stool. And that stool was heavy, and, and she, because she, I need those pots up there, or I need that, whatever. And so I'd go get it, and, you know, I'd pull it out, and I'd climb on top of it. And then sometimes you'd use it to sit and eat your spaghetti. Hallelujah. But she had, and it remind, when I read that, it reminds me of that because that's exactly how it is with the devil. The devil, and I want you to look at this because it's so important. The devil exactly is, is the, your enemy is to be your footstool. In other words, it's the prop that you use. You, you can use the enemy, come on, to get to where you're, that's why they say haters are elevators. Somebody say Amen. A devil can promote you. Now, he's not going to promote you, but God can use it. Amen. That situation. In other words, wherever you're going through, whatever you're going through, what concerns you, he'll perfect it. It becomes your footstool to go up higher than you currently are right now. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 says, Blessing, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand, I just love this scripture so much. And as the sand which is, in, is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. That's a promise that God gave to Abraham. We are under the Abrahamic covenant. So those that receive Christ are grafted in to Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant. So let's just one more. I just want to read it one more time. It's so good. Blessing, empowerment to, to prosper. Uh, I will bless you. I'll empower you to prosper. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. Have you ever stopped to count the sand on the seashore? Or, Right down there on the beach here in good old Milwaukee. Have you ever tried to do that? I mean, that's a lot right there. Think about the sand of the whole wide world. The sand is actually in the ocean, so on. Innumerable stars, innumerable. He said, that's how I'm going to bless you. That's how I'm going to multiply you. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. That's why, church, I've had us praying for the last few weeks, the prayer of Jabez. And I hope you still keep, continue with that. It's so short and it's so powerful. Why? It's to prepare us to be enlarged, to enlarge us for more. God wants to bless our lives. Get it out of your head that God's always trying to demote you for something wrong you've done. It's not based on a system of works. You are his child. Do you understand me? You are a child of God. You're joined heirs with Christ and heirs with God and his throne. All God has, he wants to bless you with. He wants to multiply you. But what stops us is that we don't believe it's possible. But the moment we've got faith to believe that God says, I'm going to bless you like the sand of the sea and like the stars of the sky, you're going to be so blessed. You're going to possess the gates of your, of your enemies and so on. We understand what Jabez says, enlarge in me that I may be blessed. This is what God wants to do. You need to get prepared. God is getting us ready for a deluge of blessing like we've never seen before. And, and yes, the enemy will turn up sometimes the heat. And yes, there is trying of our faith in, in, the, in some of this process. But ultimately, we will win. Turn to your neighbor say, we will win. Praise God. Praise God. Make this statement. Whoever possesses the gates controls what comes in and what goes out. And you shall possess the gates of your enemy. You control what goes in and what goes out. Church, we've lost control of our children. Just look at what's going on in the world. We've lost control in our finances. We've lost control in our schools. We've lost control in our health. We've got to get it back. We've got to get back on the front lines of where God has strategically positioned us to win. At the gates of our enemy. To win where we've been attacked. This is exactly what happened in the time of Jehoshaphat. And he was unprepared for war, but God knew this. God knew that he wasn't prepared. It wasn't about his preparation. It wasn't about his military might. It wasn't about what he could do, what he couldn't do. It was about God. And he even said, the battle's not yours, Jehoshaphat. It's mine. It's the Lord's. And here's what you do. Send out the praises. And as you begin to praise and worship me, then I'll, I will do something. I will do a miracle. I will possess 
the gates of your enemies for you. I will actually go in and cause them to be confused amongst themselves. And that's exactly what happened. As they worship God, as they praise the Lord God of heaven, says, mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. He set an ambush against the enemy and they begin to fight one another until they killed each other. Why are you fighting your enemies? Why are you getting on Facebook bad-mouthing them? You're now, taking, you're now taking control of something that God said, it's my fight. So what does he want to do? He says, give me the opportunity. Next thing you know, you'll find out the people that banded together, together against you will start tearing one another up. If you can trust God. Amen, somebody. So Jehoshaphat does what he does. He worships God like God says, and God causes the enemies to be destroyed. And they took him three days to pick up the spoil. So God had promotion, multiplication, and blessing on his mind for Jehoshaphat. It went from total fear and panic. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? To God doing an absolute miracle. It wasn't about what he could do anyways. It was about what God can do. Amen. So how are we going to do this? Well, I can tell you one thing. We're not going to do it alone. If we're going to think in terms of, um, of, of, of us individually and, and, and so on, I, and I, I, I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty. I've been guilty for years. I've gotten so much better the last four or five, six years because I've always taken things unto myself. I don't let my wife know about certain things. I mean, not that I wouldn't talk to her, but I just, I'll, I mean, don't worry about it. I got this. Uh, I'm the man. I'm the man of the household. I'm the pastor of that church. Hallelujah. I'll take the devil on. He better not come my way. He might walk over, but he's going to limp back. I will kick the devil straight in the teeth. And you can do that for a season. But sometimes there are certain things that come up in your life where you got to lean and draw from other people. And God expects it because it's the, it's the, it's the many people making up the whole. We're not called to be alone. That's a lie and a trick of the enemy. He wants the church to be the church, to be connected and interconnected together to help fight. Because the Bible says one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Am I right about that? So that means it's exponential. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. I don't do my math, but I'm just saying that's a lot more than one. So one puts a thousand, two puts 10,000. That's a lot. So it's exponential from there. Jesus said... I will build my church, not an individual, not a personality, not the super talented, not even the super anointed person. He said he was going to build his church, all of us coming together as one. God, that's how God does it. That's how God fights. That's how God expects it. Uh, we are better together. Uh, I was thinking about this and thinking about Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah, who was the, uh, the, uh, the cupbearer for the king? So he was, the one that he was the guy who tasted the wine before the king did. Why? Because he liked wine? No, because if he died, the king knew, don't drink that. I was, someone tried to poison me. That's exactly what he did. But he lived, in a, he lived in a great place. He lived in the palace, you know. And so, but he had somewhat of a dangerous job. It's 50-50 all the time. And so... Uh, he uh, finds out about the walls of Jerusalem in his home, his home city. He's a Jew. And um, 
he begs that the, the king would allow him to go for a season. He'd be back, but that he would allow him to go to just uh, go and to check out what he's heard about the walls of Jerusalem being broken down, which in those days when any wall of a city was broken down, it was, it was dangerous because that means the enemy can certainly come in and destroy and to pillage and to take, take over the whole city. And so he said, let me, let me go check it out. The king said, yeah, I'll let you do that. He said, tell me what t- when you're going to get back. He gives him the orders and so on. He goes forth. And when he gets there, Nehemiah weeps. He breaks like a baby. And he's bawling. He says, oh, my God, it's worse than I thought. There are major gaps in the, in the wall and breaches. And uh, it's just a disaster. They have been just pillaged. And um, he knew he would never be the same again after that. He knew that he would have to take responsibility and some action. And um, uh, he, he went back to the king and told the king what had happened and what he saw, what happened to him as a result of this and how it touched him. And he says, I need to do something. Kings look at him like, you're just, but you're just, a, you're just, what do you know about construction? What do you know about even being a team captain or leader? And he's thinking, I know nothing, but I got to start somewhere. But one thing Nehemiah did, church, that was so so important for us to get today is he understood he wasn't qualified. He understood he wasn't good enough, and he understood he wasn't had to know nothing about construction. So what did he have to do? He had to develop a team. He had to get people around him that were better at what he could do. He had the vision. He had the fire in his belly. He had the passion. He had the desire to knock on people's doors. But he couldn't build, do the building himself. And so he began to say, I need, I need, I need, King, if you will help me, I need men who can give me lumber from this, from Lebanon. I need, I need men that could come and can work over here for, in construction. I need people that are, that are uh, bricklayers, that know how to lay brick. I, I, need to meet with the, I need to meet with the people in the city, uh, with the governors and so on, so that we can start making a plan and getting this because we're going to do it quick because they're going to attack us anytime if we don't. And so he was able to do a job and, and lickety split time. Why? Because he wasn't going to do it by himself. He was nobody's fool. And the truth is, neither can you. What God's called you to do is so big. And even though you've got a passion, and even though you have enthusiasm, it's going to require other people to come around you. And that's why God developed the church. Because he has a heavenly vision that the world will become one in him that would know his son Jesus Christ. And here in Milwaukee, for just being local, localized, in, he wants Milwaukee to know Jesus Christ. One person can't do that. How silly would it be that my wife and I have been here for 20 years and, and, and it's just me and her and that's all we got to go touch the city. How far could we go? But instead, we've reached thousands of people over the years. Why? Because we've had people that could come together. They give of their finances. They give of their time. They give of their talents. They give of their abilities. They come together. Hey, I can do this. I can do that. Next thing you know, we're putting things together, winning people to Jesus, putting on production, going out and feeding the, the hungry. Somebody say amen. Taking care of needs out in the city. This, by the way, let me tell you something. The first thing that happened when they did the admin, when they admitted me into the hospital, two, two nurses were in there, and I, they said, oh, you, I said, they said, your employer says, faith builders are faith builders. The church by the airport? I said, yeah, that's us. Now, she didn't know my name, but she knew. One said, I've been to your productions. And the other one said, aren't you the church that helps those that are in need? I've seen you like on the news. I said, yeah, that's us. Because you guys are doing a great work. Then a third nurse right after her walked in and said, Pastor? Like this. 
And she came in and she goes, I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable, but I go to your church. Now, I don't know her. I don't know her. And she said she hadn't been back because of COVID. She works on Sundays. And so she watches. She's probably watching right now faithfully every single week. And she said, I just want to let you know that the ministry has been such a great blessing to me. And even though I'm not there in person right now, I'm hoping that can change at some point. She goes, I was coming on Thursdays, but I know that's not happening right now. She said, but man, she goes, I want you to know I'm, I'm faithful. I'm connected. I said, well, praise God. I'm in the middle of a little spot. And people know who we are. We, we couldn't have done this, my wife and I. It's because people got together, invited their friends, invited their family, got their neighbors to come, even the ones they didn't like. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it's because we came together. We, viewed, we have come together, church, and we have viewed the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And we have wept. And we made a decision as a church that just like in Nehemiah's time, the Bible says they had a heart and mind to work together and in one hand they had a spear and a sword and the other hand they had a trowel to do the work of the labor so one hand they're like at any moment the enemy might try to attack us and we're ready another time they're just they're just going to work ah church this is a beautiful thing by the way jesus is still building his church today just as he did 2,000 years ago. His concept is and always has been a team effort. All for one, one for all. All of us coming together as one. The church is the ultimate team. Team, T-E-A-M. You've heard this before. Together, everyone achieves more. Everyone achieves more. Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Came from heaven to earth. And yet he did not walk alone. The first thing he did when he was called, remember he was driven into the, um, uh, to the wilderness and then he was baptized after that uh, and, and by, the, by the river Jordan and the spirit of God came upon him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And instantly he went into his ministry. The first thing he did was gather up 12 men to help him in his assignment. And every one of those men left all to follow Jesus, the Bible says. And so there was this incredible uh, uh, synergy and unity and camaraderie, 12. And then the Bible says it talks about the 70. Study your Bible. It went from 12 to 70 disciples and then from 70 to 500. Jesus, by the end of 30, uh, he, was, he was in the ministry for three and a half years, rocked the entire world with 500 people in his ministry. You think that, you think, well, Jesus has walked around this hippie with sandals and walking around peace and love and I'm Jesus and, and all of a sudden thousands begin to throng him? No. No, no, no. He, they, he went in the cities and his team went before him and started telling there's a healer coming to town. He's coming to town. And that's how he was able to gather the crowds. Church, it wasn't just supernatural crowds. How you just crowds just walking around, 5,000 people just aimlessly walking around the wilderness? They all had jobs. They had to work like everybody else. So they had to have a team that could run his evangelistic association. Somebody say amen. amen. This is how Jesus did it. And in Romans chapter 16, uh, Paul begins to commend and, and thank and then ask everyone to greet some special people. You can read this in, in Romans 16. One by one, he begins to, to name an entire chapter of people who have sacrificed for the kingdom, for, uh, for, for, not only for the kingdom, but for God and also for the church. And he names them by name. 
And God allows those names to forever be in your holy Bible. Forever. God says, I'll never forget their labor of love. When my people do something special, I want them to know I don't forget them and I know them by name. These were the difference makers, not because of their talent, but because literally their labor. They did, whatever they had, they did it by love. They gave out of love. They gave their finances out of love. They gave their time out of love. They gave their talents out of love. They understood the importance and power of building something together. Building together. And when it's all said and done, will, will your name be remembered in heaven? Not for something that, because your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's forever, of course. But as in, in result of what did we do and accomplish for God in the earth? Well, I did some things, yes, but if we came together, how much more could we do for God? Listen, God made you to function within his purpose and knows your name. Isn't that the song we just sang this? I know your name, or he knows my name. That, 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 that's so beautiful, right? And he knows everything about you, every intimate detail about your life. Look at Nahum 1.7. I'm, I'm, I'm closing here. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows who trusts in him. 1 Corinthians 8.3. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. John 10.14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. But how about Jeremiah 1? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before we ever got to this people planet, God knew us. And I'm convinced we couldn't be here unless we had that purpose from God in the first place. We were always known in the heart of God. And then when our mother and father got together, God said, now it's time. Now it's time. That's why there's no mistake in pregnancies. It's special. It's even in sin. Even in sin. It may be wrong and there need to be repentance from the parents, but the child did nothing wrong. And God will use that to send forth the right life at the right time. He knows my name. Statement. You were never meant to do life alone. I need you. You need me. We need to be building a legacy for our family and, and for our children. How about your family? They need a godly legacy to join. Am I right about this? They need a godly legacy to join. They need the church. I'm so grateful to God that even through the COVID time, God kept us and some churches did not survive it. Some have still not opened up even yet. And there's no judgment on my part, of course, none. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm so thankful that we had, we had strength in this church, that, that there, was a, there was already a pulling together before tragedy happened, and then, wow, what happens from this point? Everybody gets scattered, but it didn't happen that way. It shows me strength. It shows me, it shows me health, the health. Amen. It shows me health. All of us have something to offer, church, with the gifts God has given us. But the problem is, that not all people use that gift for God's glory and for his purpose. And I close with this thought, and that is the, the king who gave one man five talents to another two, and to another he gave one. And when he returned, the man that five he invested in, he got five more. He said, enter into my rest, you've done well. The guy with two got four, he said, you did well, thank you. You can enter into my rest. But the one 
man, he had won, and he was afraid. And he never used his gift. And he buried his gift. And as a result of the burying of the gift, he said, well, I dug it back up, and here it is. I, did, I didn't want to lose it. I did good, right? He says, nah, you didn't do good at all. Basically what Jesus was saying, I would rather you had tried and lost it all than bury it because you squandered what I gave you. You could have at least put it in a bank and got 3 to 4% interest on it, and that's something more than what I had. But instead, nothing is gained. And I really believe with all my heart that God is saying that to his people today. Because sometimes I think that what we have, we don't think is that valuable, that can change much. And so we just don't want to lose it, what we do have. But you've got to take the risk of faith, church, and utilize what God has given you, your time, your talents, your treasure. You see, I'll, I'll tell you this, this church is well taken care of because you, you have joined your finances to this church. And there are people watching me right now. I've got to tell you something, church. You may not know this, but there are now people that are giving online that don't come to this church and didn't come previously. And so they're saying yes to the vision. And, and we've taken that very seriously. And I told my staff, this is, this is, we treat the people the same all the way across the board. Everybody has different reasons. They're out of state. They can't get to us. They're shut-ins. And there's all kinds of different reasons why people can't come to church. Healthy people are going to start coming back even more and more. You'll see. It'll start happening even more and more. But my point to you is this, is that they're connecting too. So it tells me that they're seeing that this is good ground ministry. And I will tell you, it is good ground ministry. I'm telling you what I know. This church is good ground because we are all about discipling the people of God week to week. And also, we're about winning souls to Jesus Christ. You can connect the dots. And you go into this little hospital, and three of the nurses know who you are. And, and, and two don't go to your church. They just heard about you. Wow. That tells me we're being effective. And, and so we're connecting. So what I'm saying to you is this. Those that are watching me right now, you may not be able to be here. And you say, well, I can't be a part of the usher team. I like to sing the singers, but I, I can't sing up there because I live so far away. Or, or I can't be a part of the, 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 the presentations, the productions, because I, I just can't right now. But you can be a part of us financially. That's the whole beautiful part about it. In other words, if you give, it causes the ministry to go forward regardless of you doing something or not. For some people, giving is their gift. They can't sing, man. They ain't singers. But they can give. And say, well, you know, my little tithe don't make a difference. Don't be like that one man with one talent. Bury it and say, when Jesus comes, well, I kept some for you. It needs to be now. Today, we connect now. And then the Bible says 36 and 100 fold is returned unto you. Amen? We are better together. Teamwork makes the dream work. Somebody say amen. And amen. Y'all enjoyed the message this morning?